It's nice to know that God directs and leads, and thankfully, we live rather than, I'm kind of talking to myself now too, okay, Um, rather than get a bah humbug about Christmas, rejoice that we live in a country that celebrates Christmas, amen? I mean, there are countries all over the world that don't celebrate it. And it is a great, great gift of God that we're remembering, and um, we we need to rejoice in what God has given us. Invite you to turn to the book of Titus. Um, Titus and Philemon are our books this week, but um, we encourage you to study them on your own this week. We won't have our our small group on Wednesdays that will go into it deeper. But um, what what great books they are. The book of Titus is written, needless to say, by Titus. He was a Greek Gentile that probably came to know the Lord under the influence of the Apostle Paul. We do know that he was a protege of Paul's. He studied under Paul. He traveled with Paul in early ministry. Um, He accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their mission of mercy to to the Jerusalem church, labored with Paul in Antioch of Syria, and, um, and we find that Paul... Um, directed Titus to the island of Crete to minister to the believers on that island. And um, it was a very difficult situation that Titus was called to on that island. Um, <clears throat> in reading about, even reading in the book of Titus, you will find that uh, the people there were characterized as lazy gluttons, easygoing, pleasure-loving people. So um, that was kind of the nature of the people that were there. And from the letter that Paul wrote to them, even among the believers, there was uh, contention. They were arguing over silly controversies, quarrels over the law. There were factions among one another. Um, just typical human actions, all right, that um, you find in the flesh. And And so Paul was writing to Titus, and he said, Titus, you need to put things in order. And, and he instructed him in, in matters regarding the church, regarding church leadership, regarding, um, relationships between older people and younger people, and, and many other things. And, and he really wanted them to manifest the, amazing power of God to this world, the island of Crete that they were on, that was a very, very difficult place. Um, The ideal church is 
one that has an orderly organization. We learn this from Titus. We're not going to go into great detail on it, but it has orderly organization, is sound in doctrine, it is pure in life, and it is ready for every good work. And and so he's he's urging Titus, do what is necessary to bring these things about. So we said Titus is dealing with people who are described as detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good deed. You can read that in Titus chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. So, I mean, wow, when the Scripture says that about a group of people, that's how they're defined. But notice in in chapter 2, I'll begin reading in verse 1, and we'll just read chapter 2 in in its entirety. So, Titus is dealing with these people, and, and now the letter goes into explaining how should we live, how do we conduct ourselves in this situation. As for you, he's writing to Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine, That the older men be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. Speak these things, exhort, and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. So, Paul's giving instruction to Titus, coming to the island of Crete, and and as we already mentioned, difficult situations, but he gives him instructions for the older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women. He gives instructions for those, many of them were were in slavery when they were saved. 
they are still in slavery. And, and he says, even there, you honor your masters. And, and he gives the reason for all of this, that he's saying this in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. He's saying to them, I want you to understand what God has called us to and how he has called us to this. It is the grace of God that brings salvation. God saves sinners by grace alone. The simple message of Christianity is this. God saves people from sin by grace alone. If you want the most foundational, basic truth of Christianity, it's that. God saves people, men and women, boys and girls. God saves people from sin by grace alone. There are many definitions of grace, but grace is God giving us that which we don't deserve. And sometimes we hear it from a different standpoint. Well, if I don't deserve it, why am I getting it, you know? You've been on the the wrong end of the stick when your brother did something and you got the whipping for it. I didn't deserve that. But, um, no, this is something good that is given to us, and we didn't deserve it at all. We were rebels against God. We had violated God's laws. We had rejected his ways and established ourself as the king and master of our lives. And because of that, we deserved the judgment of God, which is eternity, eternally separated from God in hell. That's what we deserve. Mercy is God keeping back from us that which we deserve. Grace is God giving to us that which we don't deserve. And it is the grace of God that brings salvation. We didn't deserve it. There's no person that has ever lived that deserved the forgiveness of God. And it is the grace of God that has appeared to all men that brings us to salvation. It is not of works. Look at chapter 3 and verse 5. Well, back up to verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, But according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out abundantly on us through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So there again, he mentions the mercy of God. He mentions the grace of God. By his mercy he saved us, not of works that we have done. 
No one is ever going to get to heaven and be able to say, look at, I made it. It's not anything that we have done. It is the grace of God permanently. It is the grace of God alone that saved us. That's why we, we sing the song, wonderful grace of Jesus, greater than all my sin. How shall my tongue describe it? Where shall its praise begin? Taking away my burden, setting my spirit free for the wonderful grace of Jesus reaches me. We need a renewed value and appreciation of the grace of God. Were it not for the grace of God in your life and my life, we would be condemned, we would be separated from God forever in hell, we would have no peace, no joy, it would be dark as dark can be. But it's the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live righteously, soberly, and godly in this present world. It is his grace that not only saves us from the penalty of hell, but it is his grace that saves us from the power of sin. Before I got saved before you came to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin. You were a slave to sin. Everything you did was based from the old flesh. Everything you did was from a sin motive. You may have done well in certain things, but we were slaves to sin. That's all we were. We're sinners. When we receive Christ, we then are rescued from the penalty of sin, hell. But now we have an option. We're not slaves to the flesh. We now have the Spirit dwelling in and the power of the flesh. All we could do before was obey the flesh. Now that power is broken and we can obey the Spirit. And that's the grace of God. That you have the opportunity to walk in the Spirit. That you have the opportunity to have the Spirit of God dwelling within you. That you have the opportunity to be empowered by the Spirit. Sin's power is broken over us. You say, well then, why do I sin? We sin because we want to. We sin because we yield to it. But we have the power to yield to the Spirit. So, the grace of God saves us from the penalty of sin, hell. He gives us a home in heaven. He forgives our sin. He saves us from the power of sin. Sin shall not have dominion over you. We're not under the law. We're under grace. And we can look forward. Ultimately, he will save us from the presence of sin. We'll touch on this in a little bit. But there's coming a day when we will be living in a place where there is no sin. Amen? So, think, this is the grace of God. He saved me from hell. He saved me from slavery. 
And ultimately, he will deliver me totally from sin. We sang, wonderful grace of Jesus, reaching to all the lost. By it I have been pardoned, saved to the uttermost. Chains have been torn asunder, giving me liberty. I was a slave to sin. But the wonderful grace of Jesus reached me. And and so Paul's writing to them and he's reminding them of the grace of God that that brings salvation. And he, he reminds them of that. And then he goes on and says, Now, you have been saved from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and you will be saved from the presence of sin. But he says, That grace teaches you to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. God saves us from ungodliness. See, God didn't save us to keep us in a love relationship with sin. He didn't save us to love what nailed Jesus Christ to the cross, sin. You cannot love God and love sin at the same time. You can't say, I love God and I love my sin. It's the grace of God that saves us and it's the grace of God that teaches us to deny ungodliness. And we have been reading through the epistles and we read it throughout scripture, denying ungodliness, put off. The old flesh. Put off the old ways. Put off the ways of the world. Life is a battle of putting off sin and putting on the spirit. It's a battle. The old flesh is always present with us. And he says, this grace is teaching us that God wants to deliver us from ungodliness. We shouldn't love the very thing that we needed his forgiveness for. So he says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. He says, I want you to come out from among them, 2 Corinthians 6, come out from among them and be ye separate. Don't live like the old unsaved you lived. Don't live like people that don't know Christ live. This grace should affect every area of our life, and we deny ungodliness. No, I'm not going there. No, I'm not going to live that way. I have a new life. I have a new nature. It's denying ungodliness. We sang the song, Make me a stranger on earth. Make me a stranger more like thee. When you know Christ as your personal Savior, you will become a stranger in this world because you serve a different master than the masses do. You have a different, you have a different boss in your life. And he says, this grace will teach us, the Spirit of God dwelling within us will teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, things that, that are just 
um, temporal things that are um, evil in and of themselves, things that we place above God. It teaches us that God saves us from ungodliness, but he saves us to godliness. The verses we're looking at, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live righteously, soberly, and godly in this present world. You know, I grew up and I was taught a lot of things not to do, denying ungodliness. I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do, you know, that type of mentality. I'm against these things. And that's true. Denying ungodliness. But it's not enough to deny ungodliness. I can be against a lot of things. I cannot do a lot of things. But I need to now live righteously, soberly, and godly in this present world. See, the purpose of the Christian life is not just to to not do certain things. I not do certain things so that I can do these things. And and he mentions here to live soberly. Uh, it isn't it isn't here talking about what we think of the word sober compared to intoxicated, what it means is to live seriously. And that, I'm not going to go there, but that doesn't mean you should never smile, never be happy or anything like that. It means that this should be a priority to us. And to live righteously, it's doing right like Christ. He is our model. What would Christ do in this situation? Righteously is doing what is right, using Christ as our model. In this present world, there is no excuse because of the evil. Live righteously, soberly, and godly in this present world. The island of Crete was very evil. But he said it doesn't matter. Deny ungodliness and be serious about it. Let Christ be your model in righteousness and give yourself to being godly in this present world. We complain a lot about how evil the world is becoming. And you know what? God says, I know. So live righteously, soberly, and godly right here in this evil world. He really is not concerned how evil the world is. He understands that. He's concerned that there be a light in the dark world. And so he says, I know the people around you are are lazy, they're pleasure-minded, they're given to their appetites. I mean, everybody knows that about the American, I mean, Cretans. But the reality is, He says, I don't really care about that in the sense that we need to do something about that. He said, what we need to do about it is we need to live 
serious, righteous, and godly lives to make a difference in this world. And it's the grace of God that brings salvation that teaches us deny ungodliness. You have to have a life of denying. But it's not just I'm not going to do these things. It's then live righteously, soberly, and godly in this present world. And notice then what he says. He understands that you are in this this present age. And then he gives another exhortation, verse 13, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's go back. He's reminding. He said, it's the grace of God that saved you from the penalty of sin, the power of sin. And he says, and now you should be denying ungodliness. You should live righteously and godly in this present world. And a key to doing that is looking forward to the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's saying right here that we ought to be living for a purpose that's beyond this world. Not looking to Washington or Des Moines or or not looking to ourselves or other people. We're looking for the reality. Jesus is coming again. And 1 Corinthians 15.51, he says, Don't be ignorant to them which are asleep. We shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, he says, man, that ought to give us hope. It's the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we look forward to. No more battle with sin and the flesh. Amen? No more evil that we have to deal with. No more injustice. No more fake news. No more anything that's wrong. We are in the presence of God. And he's reminding him, yes, it is evil around you. But he says, you're looking for the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God saves us to a blessed hope. We're saved and the best is yet to come. He saves us from ungodliness. He saves us to godliness. And he saves us to a blessed hope. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Looking for the blessed hope. So he's, he's encouraging Titus. This is what I want you to do. And to teach these people. To be looking for the appearing of our great God and Savior. But it's not just sit back and wait and look for the appearing of our great God and Savior. He said, he is the one, verse 14, that gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. God saves us by his grace from ungodliness to godliness to a blessed hope. And God saves us to be zealous of good works. It is interesting to me. In Titus, notice chapter 1 and verse 16. 
They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. Notice if you'd look in chapter 2 and verse 7. Exhort the young men, verse 6, to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. Notice chapter 2 and verse 14 that we've already read, a people zealous of good works. Chapter 3 and verse 8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Notice verse 14 of the same chapter. And let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. In these three little chapters, six different times he's saying about good works. They ought to be in the life of the believer. We are not saved by good works, but he has saved us to be doing good works. To be zealous of good works. Zealous is a term that, that is, is fervent, that, that we are hot after it. We are to be zealous of good works. See, it's not just, wow, God has saved me. It's a wonderful thing. God has saved me. Come Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. No. Now, while we're here, we should be zealous of good works. Do you understand Wayne and Lucas County should be better because we're here? Because we're zealous of good works. We want to go around doing good, not in order to get saved. It is not of works of righteousness which we have done. Ephesians tells us, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9, we're very familiar with them. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Notice verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Notice what he's saying. We're not saved by works, but once we're saved, we're saved for good works. And in Titus he says, be zealous of good works that we should go about. And in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see what? Your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It is important that we have the right doctrine, but it doesn't say that they might see your doctrinal statement and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It says that they may see your good works. We as believers have have the command of God to go out into this world and everywhere we go to be zealous of good works. We don't have time to go into it this morning, but, but that is endless of what we're, we ought to be. Zealous of good works, as I said, we ought to be making our families better, our neighborhoods better, our communities better, because we are given 
to good works? Why? That they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he talks about giving. And, and he says, as you give unto God, God will give you all grace, that all grace may abound to you, that you may abound to every good work. And so Paul says to Titus, Titus, I know these people, they don't work, they fuss and fight with each other, but this is what I want you to understand. I want you to understand you've been given the greatest gift ever, the grace of God. And that ought to teach you to deny ungodliness and pursue righteousness with all your heart and while you're doing that, you're looking forward. Christ may come today. The best is yet to come. But he says, until he comes, I want you to be zealous of good works. Look for ways that you can bless people. God, des- God desires to display his glory by saving us, saving sinners from their sin, Not in order to immediately take us to heaven. He saves us from our sin and he works to transform us that by our good works we can show others the greatness of God. Why? If if our purpose is just to become like Christ... The moment we get saved, he ought to just take us to heaven because then immediately we'd be like Christ. But God wants to show his glory in saying, I I took this individual, this self-centered individual that was condemned and a sinner in rebellion against God. And God says, I took him and I have transformed him now that he is living for God and he wants to bless others in good works. And to show that he went from a selfish individual to one that serves. And this is God's purpose. Nothing displays the glory of God like the amazing, miraculous redemption and the transforming work of the Holy Spirit that gives us victory over sin, that gives us joy because we know the best is yet to come, and that blesses others around us with our good works. I, I fear that we've swung the pendulum. Works do not save us. That's absolutely true. But we fail to realize we are saved unto good works. And, and zealous means we're going out looking for ways. I, I am I am looking for ways to bless others. I am looking for good things to do that will be a benefit. And he says, that's how I want you to minister in the Isle of Crete. And he said, that's how I want you to minister in Sheraton and Cordon and Lucas and Wayne County and Iowa and the world. And and honestly, um, looking back in my own life, not not zealous of good works to bless others. 
Let God take care of building the church. Let God take care of the other things. Let's give ourselves to put off ungodliness and pursue righteousness and look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of God our Savior. And while we wait for him to come, to be zealous of good works. I don't know where you are today. You may be here today and you say, you know what? I have never received the gift of God's grace for the forgiveness of my sin. Today, you need to do that. If you don't, and you were to die today, you would, you would spend eternity in hell. It is only the gift of God that forgives our sin. You may be here today and say, Pastor, I've received Christ as Savior. Is there ungodliness in your life that you need to put off? You might be here today and say, nope, I don't do this and I don't do this and I don't do this. Let me ask you, what do you do? Are there things God's asking you to do? You may be here today and, and you have immersed yourself in, in the impeachment process. You have immersed yourself in the world going around. You have immersed yourself in all the transgender, gender equity, garbage. And, and you're said, duh, I'm just drowning in this garbage around me. Look to Jesus. You look around you, you will be depressed. You look inside of you, you will be discouraged, but you look to Jesus, and that's a blessed hope. And what are you doing to bless others? How zealous are you of good works? You know, sometimes it's a simple little good work of a smile. But how can I bless someone else? That's why God's left us here. And we wonder why it's so dark. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would make these truths personal in each of our lives today. And Lord, first and foremost... I pray if there is one here today that is truly not a child of yours, they've never responded to your grace. Lord, I pray today would be the day of response, that they would bow before you and allow you to be the Lord and master of their life as they call unto you for the forgiveness of sins in Jesus alone. And then, Lord, I pray your spirit would make personal. Perhaps there's ungodliness that needs to be put out of our lives. Perhaps there's right steps of action of what you are calling us to do. And, Lord, I pray that every one of us would have a renewed zeal and be encouraged by the fact that the day is coming that all things will be made right. And I pray until that day that you would find in us people zealous of good works. 
Lord, may we know personally your Spirit's leading, teaching us in these areas, and may they see our good works and glorify you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.